Welcome to the Global Digital Banker Podcast. My name is Adele Grissaf and this week we're celebrating our 50th podcast episode. In this special edition episode, we take a look at the biggest trends in banking and financial services from 2018, as well as sharing insights and predictions for the year ahead. Our guests include our very own Victoria Bateman, General Manager for EMEA, sharing a Western Markets perspective, and Gerald Ferguson, General Manager for Asia Pacific, sharing an Eastern Markets perspective. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having us. Honour to be on your 50th podcast. Thanks very much. So to begin, let's take a look at the year that was. There were a lot of developments across regulation, technology, data privacy, partnerships, just to name a few. So Victoria, starting with the rise in banking technology, can you share some of the key trends that you saw across the Western regions in 2018? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, 2018 has been a real game changer for financial services. We've obviously got Brexit, legislation in PSD2 and open banking, intensified competition across the sector, increasing innovation. And consumers are responding, so there's been a, a significant rise, first of all, in awareness of alternative services that are coming out of all of these new offerings, and also an increased usage of fintechs across the globe, as well as increased openness to using digital-only providers. At the same time, banks are very much responding and reacting to that competition, so they're developing and transforming their own digital propositions and also recognising increasingly the value of partnerships. And we've seen lots of examples of collaboration as banks start to build out their own digital services and their own platforms in response to that. A lot of the innovation this side of the world is being led by regulation. So obviously PSD2 came into force in Europe at the start of this year, mm-hmm. uh, open banking here in the UK. And I'd say the concept of open APIs has probably had and will have the biggest transformative impact on financial services. And 2018 really has just been the start of that process. We haven't yet seen a widespread impact in terms of proliferation of services that leverage the potential of open APIs. Uh, I think there's very much been an adaptation phase and a focus on compliance this year from financial institutions. But it's only really a matter of time before those use cases start to come through. And overall, consumer expectations are changing all the time, and the financial services sector is responding to that. So across the board, I think some of the key trends, increased emphasis on the consumer, on the customer value proposition, as well as a recognition of the importance of personalization and data is a huge competitive advantage in that regard. So different markets across the West at different stages in the journey, but they're all very much on the same journey, I would say. So, Jerry, on that technology side of things, how is that playing out in the Australian and Asia markets? And what do you think is really driving that? Yeah, it's a good question, Adele. I think um, certainly one of my big predictions for next year is it's going to be the year of the API. It's going to be about who can connect in with, with several providers, particularly for some of these fintechs, which tend to be monoline product providers at the moment. They have a great customer experience and they have a great digital experience, but the breadth of product that they can offer is somewhat limited. So, you know, bringing in even more data to help them understand the customer, uh, and this goes for existing and traditional banks as well, the more they can bring in existing data and external data to help them better understand the customer, 
is absolutely crucial and is going to remain crucial, mm. uh, but also anything that they can do to um, link customers into other product providers to help them have a more consolidated and holistic offering is going to be really, really important as well. The thing that we're seeing across Asia um, and Australia, outside of banking, we're just seeing a, a much higher expectation on that digital experience. The customer is becoming more and more aware of the value of their data and what it should be able to do for them in that experience. Um, so banks are, are not immune to that and they absolutely have to be on top of their game when it comes to that because customers are now you know, happy to start looking at, as Vic was saying, happy to start looking at other providers within that space and they will go to someone that can, that can give them a good deal and give them a good experience with particular products. Now, whether that leads to a shift in main bank relationship is, is yet to be seen and, and personally I don't think that will be a key driver of it, but there'll be some other things that we'll probably talk about a little bit later around that. But certainly that digital experience for customers is becoming paramount. Mm. And that leads nicely onto the regulatory and data-related changes that we've seen across both regions in the past year. We've seen an increase in banking licences in Australia, the rollout of GDPR and PSD2 across the UK and EU, and some major data breaches as well. So what effects have you seen from these changes on consumer trust and openness? Did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I think overall, when we think about open banking, services that are going to come out as a result will ultimately need to resolve consumer pain points. In a recent study that we've done uh, looking at this topic, what we can see is that actually consumers are broadly satisfied with their financial relationships. So what I don't think we're not going to see is this mass shift to new players in the financial services space because they're offering something different and offering a solution to this mass dissatisfaction across the industry, which actually doesn't really exist. Um, but at the same time, consumers don't know what they don't know. They don't necessarily realise the extent to which they already share their personal data. And if the use cases coming out are compelling enough, then, then they will obviously respond to that. In terms of openness to new entrants, we're seeing increased openness to digital-only players. Uh, so in that research that we conducted looking at a post-PSD2 world, we also saw a lot of openness and interest in the concept of data sharing for improved products and services. Mm -hmm. um, so we had you know, around a third of consumers, I think, in the UK-specific study um, that were very, very hesitant, but the rest were open and interested um, and I'd also caveat that by saying that consumers are very much aware that their data has value. Mm. When it comes to consumer trust, uh, banks still very much have a competitive advantage there. So across the globe, they remain more trusted to protect customer data and to keep it safe than any other type of institution. But having said that, in 2018, we saw a shift for the first time in the attitudes of younger consumers when it comes to trust. Uh, so trust is something we've been tracking at RFI for a long time around the world. And this is a trend that's just tipped in the UK. But it's going to be really interesting to see how it tracks across the Western markets and, and the rest of the globe. But for the first time in 2018, we saw 18 to 24-year-olds trust Amazon and PayPal to protect their personal data more than they trust their banks. And security and protection of data is absolutely paramount in an open banking at the world. So it, it really does need to be at the forefront of innovation, wherever that innovation comes from. And Joel, what are you seeing on your side of the world? We saw there was a big focus on the Royal Commission. Has that affected consumer sentiment in your region? 
It certainly has. I think has it affected actual customer behaviour is yet to be seen. We've been tracking trust in Australia since before the Royal Commission because we, we sort of saw it as a key pillar that was going to be a part of that outcome. Um, it's been interesting to see that trust has declined somewhat and a lot of that has been directly related to the media coverage and what consumers, if they are aware of the Royal Commission, which, by the way, not everybody is, um, but if they are aware, then they're quite aware of you know some of the bad news stories and in inverted commas that, that get picked up by the media. So it's had an impact on trust. It's had an impact not necessarily on customers moving away from their bank, uh, but certainly customers looking at the deals and the offerings that they get from their bank currently. So what it has done is had movement from consumers to actually go back to their bank and ask, do you know what, what am I getting for, for my product? What am I getting for the, the money that I put with you? Um, so it goes back to that question around value. Mm. So, you know, as a bank or a financial services provider to me, what extra value are you actually giving me in terms of that relationship? It's been a funny year and Vic was talking about open banking in Australia. We've been um, tracking similar studies to what we've been doing up in the UK. Australia was probably about six to 12 months behind the UK. They've actually just delayed the um, deadline, I suppose, for open banking regulations coming into the to the market here, which is going to, I think, you know, awareness in Australia was very, very low about what open banking is and, you know, what it could do for them. Having said that, similar results to Vic, we sort of saw 40% of customers hesitant to share any sort of personal banking data. So they're happy to share data, but when it comes to personal banking data, um, they're much less likely to want to share it. But having said that, when we talk about some of the benefits that could come from an open banking environment or an open data environment, and you've got almost three quarters of customers here in Australia responding positively to that. So again, it comes back to that um, ability for the consumers to see data, also value in their data and see value in their kind of wider relationships. You marry that with what we're seeing in Hong Kong and Singapore. Uh, there's a couple of examples up there where they've, they've actually just gone ahead and introduced, you know, faster payments networks and, and they're looking at now opening up open banking. Hong Kong's introduced the ability for banks to take out digital only licenses for a sub brand um, and also open that up to wider markets. Mm. The acceptance and the uptake of, of those sorts of providers in Hong Kong has been has been staggering. You know, a lot of them are coming off the back of platforms and that's probably another key theme for next year is to talk about the rise of the platform. But we've we've seen the likes of Alipay and WePay come through into Hong Kong very, very strongly. Obviously, they have a lot of um, existing users coming down from the mainland, uh, which helps that adoption and helps that knowledge of what's going on. But when you actually put that in front of a customer and they get to see the tangible benefit of what they can do with it, then the uptake of that is is really quite swift. It was similar to what we saw in the UK, and Vic could probably talk about this, but in the UK and Singapore with the advent of contactless. Once you've got people using it, you know, and they saw the, the sort of material benefit of using contactless rather than insert and pin, the uptake was was swift as well. So it's it's a bit of a trade-off. You need to get customers comfortable with it. And a lot of that comfort lies around security. And the only way you're going to get them comfortable with it is by encouraging them to use it. So um, there's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario there. Yes, I definitely agree. It'll be very interesting to see how that continues to play out moving forward as awareness and usage grows as well. Now, before we touch on 2019 and predictions for the year ahead, I just wanted to discuss the developments in payments from the past year. You know, there are certain Scandinavian markets shifting towards cashless societies. There are markets in Southeast Asia that have leapfrogged from being underbanked or unbanked completely um, straight to using mobile banking and payments channels. So, Victoria, what were the biggest trends that you saw across your regions? 
when it comes to payments and also across channel usage? Um, so payments is probably the sector where we're seeing the most innovation um, and certainly it's the sector where we see the most appetite from consumers for digital services. So for, first of all, if we look at global trends on cash usage, um, we know that one in five consumers globally now are no longer using cash, um, actually rises to one in four millennials. Obviously, differences between markets, that's just a global average. Um, but across all markets, consumers are anticipating a further reduction in cash usage over the next 12 months. So net difference, strongest in some of the Asian markets, which I'm sure uh, Jerry will, will touch on. But also uh, here in the West as well, particularly in those markets, which, as you said, are always skipping those four factors and moving straight on to digital payment solutions. Um, so we saw the impact of contactless and changing the consumer experience and changing those consumer expectations in the payment space. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see the beginnings of that with mobile wallet adoption, um, which is on the increase around the world. I think need and interest and trust again and understanding of the key barriers that need to be overcome, similar to when any kind of new technology is uh, introduced, but those are the factors that need to be overcome to increase that mobile wallet usage further. Mm. Um, consumers need a reason to start the habit. And I think their expectations are also starting to move towards frictionless payments. So all of those legislative impacts are gonna have a a big impact here on the potential offerings and solutions and, and managing customer expectations in those invisible or frictionless payments. Mm. So just continuing to build that awareness as well. Um, and Jerry, when it comes to your regions across Asia Pacific, what changes have you seen in this space? And perhaps you could share a case study of transitions within payments there. Yeah, we, we're certainly seeing a similar trends to what Vic was talking about in Europe. I think you know, fundamentally, cash is probably still king across most of Asia, but we are seeing a lot of movement towards mobile payments uh, in certain pockets. The one that I'd probably reference, which is probably going to have the biggest impact going forward, is around you know the use of mobile wallets and digital payments through the unbanked and underbanked populations, large populations in places like Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, Philippines, etc. That has a number of um, impacts, one on just day-to-day -day usage and how customers are comfortable dealing with financial products, but also on things like remittances and one of the biggest changes and trends we've seen in 2018 was certainly around that remittance space uh, and transferring of money just to family and friends but also cross-border as well and the likes of TransferWise, Revolut, uh, etc. World First uh, really coming into the market very, very strongly again off the back of a really strong digital proposition but also quite a simple proposition as well and I think that's important uh, when we look at any of these payment wallets that are coming through. Again, I mentioned the sort of platform play and we've seen um, Grab moving into Singapore with a with a payments wallet of their own based off the back of their very successful uh, ride sharing application. And that's again starting to pay dividends for them. So uh, I think we'll continue to see more of that going into 2019. But I do wonder whether there'll probably at some point start to be some consolidation of those wallets as well. Um, as customers start to have almost too many wallets in their phone and, and how do they then start to decide what they're gonna use. In Australia, um, it's it's much the same story. We don't see as many different types of mobile wallets coming through, but the big news, I suppose, in 2018 was uh, one of the largest banks in the market, CBA, opening their payments up to Apple Pay. 
So through the iPhone was really a, a big shift, whereas they'd previously resisted that challenge. So they joined ANZ and the other banks won't be far behind there. That will only serve to increase the use of contactless in Australia, which along with Singapore is, you know, one and two in terms of contactless utilization in the world. So uh, we'll continue to see that grow, I think, but there is still a cash economy floating around. And, you know, particularly in Asia, if you start to talk about the SME business, it'll be really interesting to see how they handle that move to, to digitizing the cash economy. So lots of interesting points there. 2018 was certainly a big year. Now, moving on to 2019, what are your predictions for the year ahead? Will we see a continuation of some of last year's trends or what can you expect us to see? I think it's so difficult to make predictions because there's just so much going on in the sector and so many key trends coming through. But definitely continuation of that innovation, the evolution more collaboration, more partnerships between banks and fintechs as they continue to anticipate and react to changing customer expectations. We should start to see these open API propositions becoming reality. Mm. And I think also more of a movement or a continued movement towards integrated financial services. So traditional banks recognising that that product silo-based approach isn't the future of banking, better usage of data to, to better understand customers and to predict their, their future needs in order to remain competitive. And also one thing I haven't mentioned so far is increased emphasis towards business customers. Uh, so our research shows that SMEs have some of the greatest needs, but also the greatest appetite for innovation mm. and improved experiences. And I think that that's been recognised across the financial services sector. Um, so I'd expect to see a continued focus. There. Well, I was just thinking as Vic was talking that uh, 2018 was a pretty big year, so it might be hard to top that. We had, you know, tr Trump meeting Kim Jong-un in Singapore for the very first time. We've had Brexit going all over the place. We've had a royal commission in Australia. Um, we've had China and, and the US um, going back and forth on their trade wars. Um, so there's a, there was a lot going on in 2018. Um, I think a lot of that will roll into 2019. Um, just at a macro level, I think we'll still see um, economic challenges across the board, which will place challenges on banks and any sort of new providers coming into the, the financial services um, ecosystem, you know, how they manage their their own margins and their cost to income ratios will have a flow on impact into how they start to serve their customers. Um, as I said before, I think it'll be the year of the API. I think, um, you know, the more customers, or sorry, banks are able to um, enhance and embrace um, the open data world and, and start to use different types of data um, to serve their customers in a better, smarter, more efficient way. Those will be the ones that sort of win out uh, in inverted commas, in my in my opinion. So the better they get at understanding how their customers want their data to be used and then actually going ahead and doing that. And I think that'll have an impact um, over this year in terms of how customers start to see their main bank relationship as well. So the, the person or the entity that can kind of hold and control and use that data to the best um, advantage of the customer, uh, I think will start to win in that, that sort of main bank relationship. Um, I think we'll still see that that pivot to Asia that we've been seeing um, over the last 12 months. Um, there's a lot of talk, obviously, um, around the Greater Bay Area. Um, that's going to have an impact on what SMEs uh, and fintechs alike are able to do through regional coordination. Uh, I think we'll see rapid growth around that payment space, particularly cross-border and trade technology. Um, I think we'll see... 
um, on the back of that as well, a rise of the ASEAN markets in terms of what they're doing from a payments and technology perspective as well to serve that underbanked um, underbanked segment, which is so so large in Asia uh, and currently kind of underserved as well. So a few things there to unpack. I think uh, just quickly in Australia, um, in a couple of weeks, we'll have the findings from the Royal Commission handed down. There's a lot of conversations and a lot of changes already in place for responsible lending. So I think that will have a major impact on how the banks view their product portfolio and what they're trying to do with that. Uh, again, how do they manage the data? How do they manage the customers that they already have? Um, and how can they turn it all around to sort of build up that trust that they lost a little bit of uh, in 2018? So that will be an interesting one to watch in Australia. Um, other than that, I think uh, it will just kind of be business as usual. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much both for your time, for sharing those insights into 2018 and for your predictions for the year ahead. Thanks, For those interested in staying in the loop of how these predictions play out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you normally listen to your podcasts, as we'll be covering off these topics and many more in months to come. You can also follow us on Twitter at GDB Podcast or on LinkedIn under RFI Group. To listen to previous episodes, head to globaldigitalbaker.com. 